The Seahawks suffered a demoralizing overtime loss at the hands of the Raiders on Sunday. Rob Morang and I are going to be breaking down our Monday musings, our Monday takeaways, coming up next on Locked On Seahawks. You ready? You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your lead host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We wish we were diving into a Victory Monday episode, but unfortunately, that is not the case after the Seahawks fell short 40-34 to in overtime against the Raiders on Sunday, dropping to 6-5 and five and out of the playoff picture for now. Certainly not what they were hoping for coming out of their bye week. We're going to break down our Monday musings a bit more in-depth this week. There's a lot to talk about, so we'll do a whole segment on offense and a full segment on defense as well. We'll make up for the mailbag segment later in the week. I promise that, but we have tons to break down from yesterday's game. So let's get to it. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players and they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection. You can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. Now for your lead story here on the opening drive of our Monday episode of Locked On Seahawks. When Josh Jacobs ripped off an 86-yard touchdown to win the game and walk off for the Raiders yesterday, the Seahawks were missing one of their best players on defense. Luckily, Ryan Neal looks like he's not going to miss much time, if any, due to elbow and shoulder injuries sustained in yesterday's game. And Rob, this is huge news because you don't want to pick on Josh Jones, who stepped in late in the game for Ryan Neal. But He was the safety that had an opportunity to bring down Josh Jacobs at midfield and wasn't able to get it done. Jacobs then races untouched the rest of the way for that 86-yard touchdown, and Jones has struggled when he's played on defense. So having Ryan Neal available next weekend and beyond would be a big deal, especially knowing Jamal Adams is out for the remainder of the season. Yeah, it's a huge deal. And so if there is a, you know, silver lining to the dark clouds that was uh, losing to the Las Vegas Raiders, a team that walked in with only three victories, um, then it would be the fact that that Seattle escaped virtually unscathed in this game. Um, because Ryan Neal is going to be okay. Pete Carroll, uh, you know, re- reiterated as much uh, today, basically saying that uh, the shoulder and elbow injuries that that forced Ryan Neal to be sidelined for that critical drive there in the overtime, um, that he is going to be okay, and so Seattle is going to get their their star safety back. And I say star because Ryan Neal has been exactly that all season long. He's been terrific. You know, as you mentioned, Jamal Adams, of course, has been out all year long. He was the one that was expected to be the superstar there. They bring back Quandre Diggs. He, of course, is a, you know, a a former pro bowler and and has been one of the most, the biggest ball hawking safeties in all of the NFL. Obviously had two interceptions against Derek Carr yesterday. But at the same time, in terms of consistent playmaking ability, uh, consistently reliable open field tackling. Ryan Neal has been Seattle's best defensive back this season uh, with possibly the exception of, of the rookie Tariq Woolen. 
who's been spectacular. Um, you know, so to me, that is a big, big deal that the Seahawks are going to get Ryan Neal back. Unfortunately, the news is not quite as good with uh, with Johnson. The, uh, I'm spacing on his name. Daryl Johnson. Uh, Johnson, the 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 defensive end who Pete Carroll said is going to miss the rest of the season uh, after surgery. So uh, unfortunately, while the Seahawks uh, did get Ryan Neal or will have Ryan Neal back for this upcoming game, they are not going to have Dwayne Johnson back for Daryl Johnson back for the rest of the season. I hope Dwayne Johnson plays for him, bringing the rock. I mean, he can't be any worse than what we saw <laughs> yesterday, and we'll get to more of that later in the show, but. Uh, Daryl Johnson being out for the season, he played really well in a handful of games for the Seahawks. He actually started a game. He was the first one that started when Daryl Taylor got sent to the bench and played pretty well off the edge and then injured his foot a couple games later and now is going to miss the rest of the season. Everybody was under the impression that he was going to have a chance to make it back this year, but with him undergoing surgery, that's not going to happen. The other positive news, though, same position group, another player that has not played at all this year, Alton Robinson, who's still recovering from a PCL injury he suffered late in the preseason. Pete Carroll made it sound like he's still got a decent chance to be back within the regular season time window off of the injured reserve list. They've not had him since week one. Again, that injury happened in their preseason finale against the Dallas Cowboys. He had a pretty good preseason, and right now they could use any reinforcements they can get at the edge position. And Alton Robinson's been a pretty solid run defender his first two years in the league. So bringing him back down the stretch would be a nice addition in terms of depth. And Bruce Irvin's playing more snaps than Boye Mafe and Daryl Taylor right now. And I don't know that that's necessarily a good sign, even though Bruce Irvin's playing pretty well. That tells you where things stand in that position group right now. So any additional depth, especially guys that can defend the run that you can get, that would be a big deal. But really, at the end of the day, the Ryan Neal news is the biggest news for the Seahawks because if he ended up missing time, and there's still maybe a chance that he doesn't play this next weekend against the Rams, Pete Carroll did hint that was a possibility because he's got a pretty bad bruise in his elbow. If he doesn't play this weekend, then they can go to Josh Jones or they can go to Joey Blunt. And Carroll was very complimentary of Blunt, who may be the next in line to get that opportunity because Josh Jones has not played well when he's had opportunities. As great as he looked in training camp in the preseason, he has really struggled, especially when it comes to tackling. And we saw it again on that game-winning touchdown run by Josh Jacobs. He just hasn't taken good angles and he's come up with nothing but air way too many times. And the Seahawks are confident in him, but it does come to a point where you got to wonder, do we just let the undrafted rookie in who made some big plays at Virginia and see if he can help our defense out playing some safety for us. And so I'm curious what the Seahawks would do in that case, if Ryan Neal's not able to play Sunday, but right now they're holding out hope that maybe he misses a practice or two this week and then he can make it back and have an opportunity to play for him. That's a big deal considering what he has done since checking into the lineup for Jamal Adams and for Josh Jones earlier this season. Coming up next, we've got a lot to break down from yesterday's game. Monday Musings, a little bit more extended day. We're going to have an entire segment dedicated to the offensive side of the football. We'll do defense in the final segment as well. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Monday edition of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is releasing a slate of new football podcasts that we're sure you're going to love. Find Block Forever now wherever you get your podcast. Block Forever is a brand new podcast from former NFL All-Pro Ryan Khalil and Audible. Khalil takes the conversation about football to the next level by giving football fans an insider's look at the game 
through the eyes of the greatest players and personalities of all time. Khalil sits down with star players, coaches, and former pros across the league to get real about what happens on the field and behind the scenes, inside locker rooms, during team meetings, and back at the hotel. You'll hear from the likes of Christian McCaffrey talking about his love-hate relationship with fantasy football and Juju Smith-Schuster giving his most honest opinions on other players and positions around the league. Catch the full Block Forever series available anywhere you get your podcast. It's available everywhere now. Audible, get in the game. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Join me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And a special welcome to our new listeners as well. For your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast from the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports. Go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports is available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. The Seahawks coming out of the bye week sloppy and flat, unfortunately fell in overtime 40-34 to to the underdog Raiders yesterday. It was a game that it felt like the Seahawks had numerous opportunities to win and they couldn't find a way to get the job done. And that included on the offensive side of the football. And I will say this, Rob, anytime that you score 34 points on offense in an NFL game, you should win that football game. And Seattle obviously was let down by their defense. We'll have more on that later. But there were some crucial mistakes that were made on offense. And it was another game where they were one-dimensional. Geno Smith was slinging the ball over the place. But aside from two touchdown runs by Ken Walker III, they had no run game to speak of for most of this game. And the Raiders dominated in the trenches from the start to the finish. No, there's no question about it. I mean, they were absolutely dominating um, along the line of scrimmage on both the offensive and defensive lines. You know, Corbin, of course, one of the the other jobs I have out here when it comes to football is is being a, a, a NFL draft analyst for Fox Sports. And the day before the Seahawks lost to the Raiders, the, the game that I was focused in on, besides the Apple Cup, of course, a lot of Seahawks fans out there pay attention to the Apple Cup, but it was the game between Ohio State and Michigan. I know, of course, that that you watch that game as well. Ohio State is the more talented team, in my opinion, but Michigan punched them in the mouth. And I mention that because that's exactly what I thought I saw here with the Seahawks and the Raiders. I think that the Seahawks are the more talented team. I thought the Raiders punched Seattle in the mouth over and over again, especially along the line of scrimmage. Along the offensive line, I don't know that you could make an argument that any of Seattle's blockers really played very well in this game. Uh, you know, Charles Cross, perhaps, uh, you know, because he, he only got beat a couple of times. But Abe Lucas, I thought, had his worst game as a Seahawks. And, hey, give the Raiders some credit. Max Crosby is an absolute superstar. Um, but, but just seeing what was happening along the entire line of scrimmage, the interior on the exterior, um, not only in pass rushing, but a, again, in, in the, you know, trying to run the football, I mean, Seattle was just thumped at, at the line of scrimmage consistently in this game. They had a total of six first downs as, as, you know, running the football. And of course, a couple of those were Geno Smith sprinting ahead for runs. So. You're right. I mean, Ken Walker got those two touchdowns, and so fantasy football enthusiasts out there are going to be pretty happy with what his performance was. But if you look beyond the touchdowns and just look at his two-point-something average uh, per rush, that really, to me, is in a nutshell why the Seahawks were unable to move the ball when they absolutely needed to. 
Pete Carroll talked about it after the game. In fact, I was the reporter that asked him about the running game because this has been something that we have talked about a few times the last couple of weeks. And I know that there have been a few games where they got off to a slow start and then Ken Walker III was able to get rolling in the second half. That second Cardinals game, for example. Second half, he was able to get things going and take over that game. The line did much better late. Yesterday, you can't sugarcoat it, though. That was the worst game that this offensive line has played this entire season. And honestly, Rob, I don't think it's close. The rookies didn't look good. You could tell Abraham Lucas was not feeling good. I know that he was gotten through an illness that they put him on the injury report late on Saturday with. He ended up starting, played every single snap, but he did not look like himself. Even going against Max Crosby, he was getting bulldozed. Max Crosby was shooting past him consistently. He was getting dominated. He didn't look like himself in the run game either. But I thought the biggest problem, and this goes back to some discussions we had earlier in the season, Seattle in their four-game winning streak didn't have to deal with near as many dominant players in the interior, particularly when they played the Cardinals. I mean, J.J. Watt, obviously. Watt is not the player that he used to be. The Cardinals gave them some fits up front anyway. But in those four games, they didn't have some of the opponents that they have faced in recent games. I thought Tampa Bay's front line was as good as any they're going to see with Vita Vea in there, Akeem Hicks. And I think the Raiders, I mean, I, I joked about this on Twitter, but this is exactly what it felt like yesterday. Uh, their big defensive tackle, Andrew Billings, they should be billing him for rent, how much he was <laughs> in the backfield yesterday. He was living back there. Could have propped up a couch every time they tried to run the ball. Billings was in the backfield and had penetration. Most of the time he was beating Austin Blythe. He whipped Austin Blythe this entire game. It was Blythe's worst start with the Seahawks, too. I thought he looked awful in pass protection, and run blocking was just non-existent, really from the entire interior of the offensive line. All three, all four of those players, because they were rotating at right guard, all of them got whipped most of this game. They were not able to establish the line of scrimmage. They couldn't generate push. And that is a real problem. Pete Carroll wants to be able to run the football, and he wants to be able to stop the run. They couldn't do either one of those yesterday. And really, the run game has been more than inconsistent at this point. The last four or five games, most of the time, it's been ineffective. You take those two touchdown runs out of the equation yesterday, no rushing yards on the other 12 carries by Ken Walker the third. They had eight carries where he was limited to two or less yards. Four of those were a loss, including a 13-yard loss that I know you could yell at Walker, why, why were you trying to extend that play when he got hit five yards in the backfield? But, like, he broke the tackle and he thought he had a chance to get to the outside. I have no issue with it. It just ended up magnifying the loss. But that's the kind of game that it was. They were dominated in the trenches of both sides. I thought it was even more apparent with their offensive line getting whipped up front and that set them back behind schedule. That is the big reason that another game happened where they could not consistently convert to third downs. They get killed in the time of possession. I mean, all this stuff is a domino effect when you're talking football games, and the Seahawks just flat out got dominated up front. Worst game by the O-line this year. I, I agree, and I think that you know I've I've listened and read some people saying that Seattle's offensive line has been inconsistent. I, I would disagree with that part. I, I think that they have been consistently bad now for the last month, basically of the season. Um, it was one of the reasons why I was stunned. It's the only game that I, I've been really surprised by the outcome when the Seahawks beat the New York Giants, because along with those Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that you are correct that they have you know, pretty formidable interior group there with Vita Vea and Akeem Hicks. 
But Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence inside for the New York Giants, to me, is the best defensive line that Seattle has faced. And the fact that they were able to get that victory, to me, was still a stunner. Just because they, they didn't run did the ball well in that game. They averaged under three yards per carry. So. They, exactly. No, but it was just the fact that they did have some success. I mean, three yards a carry. If they, get, if they average three yards a carry in this game, I think that they win. Um, but they did not do that. I mean, they wound up averaging two something. Uh, you know, Ken Walker, I, I was, you know, gave him a little bit more credit than I should. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just absolutely abysmal numbers here. Um, you know, so to me, that again, that that's what it comes down to is, is Seattle's inability to get any kind of consistent push at the line of scrimmage. Um, now, I think maybe that this was a little bit of a, you know, I think we, we, there's some who are a little bit surprised because of how well Seattle had run the football earlier in the year. But again, when you're starting those two rookie tackles, especially two tackles who came from air raid offenses that the primary thing that they did in college was, was pass protect. We're now getting to that time of year where the rookies start to hit that wall. And, and so I think that that's what we're seeing here, um, you know, because Abe Lucas has been the better of the run blockers up to this point. As you mentioned about his, you know, being ill, uh, it, it showed in his play. Um, and then again, with Austin Blythe, I mean, you're talking about a quick guy, not a powerful guy. And he was simply overpowered at the line of scrimmage way too often in yesterday's game. So I don't know that there is a quick fix. Um, to Seattle being able to uh, get their running game going. But it's not just the running game that that really kind of irked me in this game, Corbin. One, one of the things that Pete Carroll and, and Seattle's coaches have taken some criticism for is the fact that much of their defensive game plan was centered around trying to slow down Devontae Adams and criticize them all you want. I think that it is pretty sound judgment on their part trying to slow down a guy who has absolutely dominated the NFL for the past month. But where I had some real concerns on Seattle's offensive side of the ball is it almost felt like they were that the Seahawks were trying to show off DK Metcalf and say, oh, you've got Devontae Adams. Wait till you see this stud that we've got a wide receiver as well. And what I mean by that is just how often that they threw the ball to DK Metcalf. And he is an unbelievable player. But we talked about the fact that Seattle really needs to distribute the ball all around. And they did so in the, in the first half of the game. They were getting the ball to the tight ends. Obviously, there was a touchdown pass to Tyler Lockett as well. But Corbin, DK Metcalf caught 11 passes yesterday. Nobody else in the Seahawks caught more than three. I mean, that to me is a huge, huge concern here. And then again, I really believe that one of the things that makes Seattle unique is the fact that they do have that three-headed moss with the tight end position. I'll continue to say it. And the fact that they didn't have any receptions to the tight ends after halftime, I don't believe, maybe one. But still, you ended up with, uh, I, I believe, Travis, or excuse me, uh, Noah Fant having three catches and Will Disley having one. I mean, excuse me, two for Will Disley. But still, five total catches from your tight ends. That, to me, is a huge problem. When we've seen Seattle's offense really hum, is within their wide receivers and their tight ends have basically been a one-to-one -one type of ratio. Not having one wide receiver get the bulk of the catches, especially when it's ruled that one of the most important catches was actually ruled not a catch, and that obviously was critical in Seattle's loss as well. I, what What is it about the catch rule that we can't figure this out? It's 2022 for crying out loud. How do we not know what a catch is? I mean, I sit in the press box, watch the replay like six times, 
And I just kept asking people next to me, like, why is this taking so long? Like, this shouldn't even be debatable. This is clearly a catch. And then they overturned it. So Metcalf should have had 12 catches, and he made sure to point that out today on Twitter as well. The Seahawks were showing his stats, and it said 11 receptions, and he just put 12 with a quote tweet, and it should have been. As far as I'm concerned, that was easily a catch. But, again, the NFL doesn't seem to know what a catch is week to week, and they just can't fix that rule I know there's some subjectivity to it, but still, it shouldn't be this difficult to know what a catch is. That was clearly a catch. So you can make some arguments Seattle got robbed with some calls that happened in this game. But nonetheless, they didn't execute when they needed to. I tend to agree with you a little bit that it felt early like they were force-feeding DK Metcalf. Maybe that's on Geno Smith. Maybe that's on the play calls. There There was one possession where they ran the same play, two out of three plays, throwing a quick screen to Metcalf. And I think they got three total yards out of those two plays. Like that is not the right way to get to maximize value out of DK Metcalf. That's not a strength in his game. So I don't know why they did that twice in a three snap span. It didn't make any sense to me. And the horizontal passing game they were trying to mix in there, it wasn't effective, but the middle of the field was open all game long. And when they took advantage of it, they were able to move up and down the field, and they had another drive that they lost with a botched handoff from Smith to Walker. Just, again, the offense racked up a lot of yards. They put up 34 points on the board, and yet there were those mistakes. The Geno Smith interception that I don't know that, that was necessarily his fault based on what we heard about the routes not being correct, but he had another interception in the end zone to Metcalf that ended up getting, over, getting overturned. That one was the correct call, but it should have been a pick. And so they did make some mistakes in the offensive side of the football that prevented them from winning this game. They weren't effective in the red zone, only got 10 points off the two interceptions by Quandre Diggs. I mean, we can keep going on and on. There were just too many mistakes in a game like this where the other team was having success scoring points. There were too many mistakes made by Seattle's offense. There were some questionable strategies in their play calling. And then, of course, you add in the call that didn't go in their favor with Metcalf on what should have been a catch that would have extended that drive. Who knows what the discussion looks like today if that would have counted as it should have. The Seattle might have gone right down and won the football game, but we'll never know. That ended up not being the case. So overall, yeah, they racked up a lot of points. They got a lot of yards. Geno Smith played really well most of the game, but it was another one. They couldn't finish it off, and that is still maybe the biggest stain on Geno Smith's resume at this point is he hasn't been able to finish a lot of these close back-and-forth affairs like this. This is just another one to notch on there that wasn't able to find a way to overcome poor pass protection at times and some of the mistakes that were made. And that's why the Seahawks are in the position they're in now, just a game over 500 and outside looking into the playoff race. All right. It's not going to get much more positive, unfortunately, 12. We're going to go to the defensive side of the football coming up next year on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Prize Picks. We're officially in week 12 of the 2022 season, and I'm banking on Jonathan Taylor ripping off 125 rushing yards and a touchdown against the Steelers on Monday Night Football. With Prize Picks, it's easy to play daily fantasy and put those entries to the test. Just pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch whether it's NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, or college football. 
Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Safe and fast withdrawals currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. Download the Price Picks app or go to pricepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. Make sure to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Join me as always, my coach in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. They've got the biggest stories of the day, instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day is available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Continuing our Monday musings, we just had a chance to vent about a lot of the issues on the offensive side of the football. I wish that we could get a little bit more positive going to the defensive side of the football, but it feels like it's September again for the Seahawks defense, giving up 586 total yards to the Las Vegas Raiders in a 40-34 overtime loss yesterday. That is the third most yardage that the Seahawks have given up in a single game in franchise history. And what made it even more remarkable is what Josh Jacobs did to them as a one-man wrecking crew. 303 all-purpose yards yesterday. Also scored two touchdowns, including the game-winning 86-yard touchdown, just ripping the heart out of the fans at Lumen Field. You could hear a pin drop in the stadium as he finished off that stunning touchdown run. Jacobs was a one-man machine Really, it was a blunt object running a 4-4 is really what the Seahawks were trying to tackle. And trying is the key word there because they really struggled to get him to the ground most of this game. Well, they absolutely did. I mean, Jacobs was terrific. Uh, you know, entering the game, uh, we did our last show of the week, our, our matchup Wednesday. I, I described him as kind of Marshawn Lynch-like. And I, I think that he showed even greater breakaway speed, although obviously Marshawn Lynch certainly had his share of you know spectacular beast quake like breakaway runs um but at the same time it was the burst that josh jacobs showed it was the power it was the ability just to kind of wiggle his way free from would-be tacklers he did it in every which way he did it as a receiver the one-handed grab that he had uh you know it was just an unbelievable performance by josh jacobs there are times when i think that you know seahawk fans just fans of, of football in general Even if your team is losing, sometimes you just have to kind of, you know, tip your cap to just an unbelievable performance by a rival athlete. And this to me is one of those uh, one of those examples where he was just the best player on the field by such a wide margin that I think that uh, he just kind of deserves some acknowledgement here. But at the same time, I also think that you have to put an awful lot of blame on on seattle and their inability at any level of defense to to play any kind of consistent defensive football i mean whether it be at the point of attack where again just like how i thought that seattle's offensive line got pushed around defensively they got pushed around a lot uh you know and, and so to me that is a huge problem um at the linebacker position i just saw too many poor angles too many missed tackles um by both jordan brooks and cody barton um, and then certainly in the secondary, uh, Tariq Woolen, I thought had a strong performance and previous to, uh, you know, him going down with the injury and uh, I would have loved to have seen Ryan Neal come up with that, uh, pass earlier for an interception. 
at the same time, I thought that he had a pretty strong performance. So other than Ryan Neal, you know, I really thought that most of Seattle's defensive backs also struggled. I mean, Tariq Woolen was spectacular in coverage. I mean, for all the Devontae Adams catches, none of them came against Woolen. Um, and so that to me was impressive. But at the same time, while I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to champion Quandre Diggs and those two picks, and they were big time interceptions, both of them. The, even the one that Cody Barton tipped to him still, Quandre Diggs was in terrific position there. And the first pick was a spectacular play. Um, at the same time, Quandre Diggs also, his pursuit angles and his shoddy tackling, he was as, as, um, you know, as, as much to blame as any of Seattle's defenders when it came to tackling. Uh, and, and so to me, that was a huge concern. Josh Jones, we talked about it before. He takes over for Ryan Neal and obviously was in position to make that tackle and then was unable to do so when Josh Jones runs for 86 yards, ball game. But Quadra Diggs should have been in position to make that play as well. So again, I just didn't think that there was anybody on Seattle's defense, not really, who had the spectacular performance that we have come to expect from a team that has ridden the big play on defense all season long. That is the biggest reason why they lost this game, obviously, not just the offense. Because as you said earlier, Corbin, you score 30-plus points, you really, especially at home, you really should emerge with a victory. Yeah, the biggest issues right now for this team, and, and it feels like broken records because the run defense has reverted back to what we saw the first month of the season where they were giving up 170-plus rushing yards a game. We're seeing that now the last two games, and teams are doing it a little bit differently. And Pete Carroll acknowledged that yesterday. They're running more two-back offense, which me, being a football purist, I'm loving that. I love seeing the fullback in there. Sure. But that game-winning touchdown, that was a simple ISO play with a lead fullback and Jordan Brooks got blown up by the fullback. The front line got dominated. It was just one-on-one -on -one blocking. We are better than you. And that's what the Raiders did. They just were more physical and they imposed their will on the Seahawks. And then when Seattle did have a chance to bring down Jacobs, the tackling pursuit angles were bad, diving at his legs, not getting a good quality wrap, which if you do that on Josh Jacobs, he's going to run through it every single time. So it just feels like we're having this conversation all the time with this football team. Like, why can't they figure out their run fits? Because yesterday, I'm telling you, in the first quarter, they did a good job. Jacobs had 18 yards on seven carries. But then after that, Jacobs ripped off a 30-yard touchdown run immediately following Geno Smith's interception. So they capitalized off that. And from that point on, it was at least four or five yards pretty much every carry it felt like. And there were a few big plays the Seahawks made. They stopped him on a fourth down late in the football game. So it's not like they didn't get any stops on him. But for the most part, the Raiders were creating full highways for Josh Jacobs to run through. I mean, there were a few holes in that second half, Rob. I kid you not, the moving trailer that's supposed to be at our house tonight they could have driven that through there, no problem. The Seahawks' defense was giving up that big of creases in the run game, and that cannot happen, and it should not happen. The only way that happens on the field is if your run fits and your gap integrity are completely compromised, and that has been a problem for the Seahawks most of the season. It went away in that four-game winning streak. I think that is starting to show it was more about the opponents they were playing, though, than them necessarily turning the corner. And that is a major concern, just as much their inability to run the ball on offense, the inability to stop the run on defense and setting up easy third downs for opponents, too. There's a reason the Raiders went eight for 14 yesterday and the Buccaneers went 10 for 15 two games ago. 
they are having much more favorable third down situations than what Geno Smith is having when the Seahawks are on offense. They're off schedule a lot of the time because they're running on first and second down is not successful most of the time. Opponents, though, they're getting three or four yards a pop every time they run the football. And if you do that on first and second down, you are set up with quality third down opportunities that are not near as difficult to convert. And that's why they can't get off the field. Again, all of this is a domino effect. And it's got to be given Pete Carroll nightmares because that is like the exact opposite of the way he wants his team to play football. This is not the blueprint. This is not the formula that he has won so many football games doing. And they were able to do it for four games in a row. But now you got to wonder, is the personnel necessarily there for them to do it against quality football teams that can get physical with them? They haven't shown they can yet against those types of teams. No, they haven't. And that's why I'm becoming very pessimistic about how well Seattle is going to be able to finish off this season is because this does feel like a little bit of just a lack of physicality, um, a lack of toughness. Um, and that when it starts getting cold, that's when, you know, those teams that do have that toughness um, do have that heart, uh, you know, are, are really going to kind of, you know, play better when everybody else is starting to fold a little bit. And, you know, I, I, you know, Corbin, you and I try to stay positive on, on the show, even in the face of a loss like this one, a very disappointing loss. So I will kind of acknowledge a couple of players who I thought played well, as I mentioned before with Tariq Woolen, basically shutting down Devonte Adams when he was playing him in coverage. I think he wasn't targeted once when Adams was across him. They kept him on the other side of the field almost the whole game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but not not the entire game. There, there definitely were some opportunities there, and Derek Carr chose to look the the other way. The other, another player that I want to make sure that we mention here is Al Woods. Um, Al Woods was easily Seattle's most effective defensive lineman. He had six tackles in this game, which is basically triple what anybody else along the defensive line had for the Seahawks. He had, he was one of the few defensive linemen who I saw uh, pursuing with passion downfield, both laterally and downfield. A lot of times I saw Seattle's defensive linemen, once they got turned and sealed off and they basically shut it down. And when you're going against a back who is as creative uh, you know, and is willing to cut back against the grain as Josh Jacob was, uh, and is then I thought that that was really an indictment on Seattle's defensive lineman as well. So I thought that Al Woods, uh, you know, obviously Seattle's biggest man still moving the way that he was showing the effort that he showed to me. I think that he deserves some credit here. Puna Ford, of course, got a sack, but other than that, that, that where were the hell was Seattle's pass rush? You know I mean? You're, this is a home game going against a team that with the Raiders that you know that Derek Carr, while he is known for getting the ball out of his hands quickly, and that's obviously taking the same uh, approach that you know Josh McDaniels is the head coach of the Raiders, previously with Tom Brady for a long time, you know that they were going to copy that same type of style. But there were plenty of times there where Derek Carr had the ball in his hands for a long time, and Seattle just wasn't able to get home. We've touted Uchenna Nuosu so much. I mean, he had two tackles in this game. He was virtually non-existent. Not quite as non-existent as Daryl Taylor, but darn close. And and so that, to me, was really a stunner in this game. I thought that Seattle would be able to play a little bit more effectively in terms of rushing the passer, and certainly we didn't expect them to give up this many yards uh, in, in run defense. Yeah, you can look at the pass rush and have similar complaints 
to the run defense where it wasn't there early in the season that it came alive in that four-game winning streak. And then the last two games, it's disappeared. And I thought early they were getting some pressure on Derek Carr. And Puna Ford had two pressures from the interior. Noosu actually knocked Carr out of the game for a play. And then they didn't have a single pressure in the third or fourth quarter. Not pressure, but a single quarterback hit. They might have had a couple times they got kind of close to Carr, but it felt like the entire second half, he could just do whatever he wanted. He had time to process his reads, look at multiple receivers, and it didn't matter, especially on third downs. The Seahawks could not get the pressure on him, and they've got to figure something out with their edge rushing group. Nuosu's been so good, but he's been quiet the last two games, so he's kind of tapered off a little bit. Daryl Taylor, the only notable thing he did yesterday was jump off of the sideline after Quandre Dick's first interception and start blocking somebody, which should have been a penalty. I don't know how the refs didn't notice that, but that's the only thing I remember him doing yesterday. Um, Boye Mafe had a few good plays early, but otherwise was quiet. I mean, they've got to get more consistency from their edge rushing group. And the interior guys, they're, they're just too, they're too hit and miss with the run fit stuff. And it's putting the linebackers into really bad spots where they're getting blockers climbing up against him and then they're not shedding i mean it is a systemic problem if this sounds like a broken record this is what we were talking about the first five games of the season and now it's come back with a vengeance these last two games and it is a chance to unravel the season for this football team if they can't find a way to right the ship again they did it earlier this year and got things fixed temporarily can they do it now against teams that have changed things up and they're getting that downhill running game with two running backs or having a tight end in the backfield, smash mouth football downhill. Can the Seahawks answer that call? It seems like now teams are taking are giving their defensive linemen that they, they said was such a big key to them turning things around. Teams are using that against them now and they are smacking them in the face. Can the Seahawks make the adjustments they need to, to be able to be physical enough and start to slow the rundown. If they can't get that done, I don't care who the opponent is. Rams are not a good football team, but the Rams will run it down their throat. They'll find a way to scheme it up. They've got to get this fixed. There's reason to believe they can, uh, but this does feel like a very critical point in the season for the Seahawks team, particularly on the defensive side of the football where they seem to be going in the wrong direction now, heading towards week 13 with six games left to play outside of the playoff picture. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have our weekly Tuesday show, Tell the Truth Tuesday. There's a lot of truths that need to be told about this football team coming out of this ugly overtime loss and maybe some positivity coming out of tomorrow's show as well. Didn't have a chance to get much of that today, but that happens when you lose an overtime game to a team that was three and seven. We hope you'll be joining us. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.